This is Johnny Blue Star. Welcome to Threshold, a global media event. Is the universe just a random dance of atoms, or is it a manifestation of a supremely intelligent architect? Can its purpose, or our purpose here on Earth, be adequately assessed? Can we commune with it, know its intentions, cooperate with its direction? Here, we define Threshold as a gateway state of awareness, allowing mankind to cross into a place of real cognition. Threshold allows us to approach questions of higher reality through the door of experience rather than mere belief. Welcome to Threshold, where we tear away the veil from commercial media, bringing our audience and participants into another realm of reality and enhanced communication. This is Johnny Blue Star with Threshold Radio, and today we have a special guest. His name is Michael Priv, and he is an author. He's an author of a number of books, but the one we'll be talking today is called The Golden Fleece, and it's subtitled Diary of a, Sin- of a Scientology Warrior. Michael, uh, thank you for coming today. Yeah, thank you, Johnny. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, I, I kind of love the story of Jason and the Argonauts. And I wondered why you called this book The Golden Fleece, though, because I don't think you discuss it too much in the book, or am I wrong? Yeah, well, The Golden Fleece, the original Golden Fleece um, story is about a voyage, um, about a journey to find something of immense value, which is the Golden Fleece, uh, obviously, in the, you know, in the ancient myth. So... So what I was after also is something of immense value, which is which is the uh, spiritual abilities and uh, clarity and uh, so forth, which um, in this book, at least, um, I was looking for in Scientology. So that was my journey in Scientology is the Golden Fleece. Yeah, I, I do get something like that out of there, which will out of that analogy, you might say, uh, we'll, we'll kind of get to that point. So... Uh, I think your book starts out in a very exciting way. Uh, I've read a number of books on Scientology, and uh, what I really like about this book is that it's not, it's, it's really somebody looking f- to, to salvage something, something important, which you've discovered. And it's not, just, uh, it's not just saying, oh, all is lost, I did this, it was terrible. Uh, it's not at all like that. It's really a, a. It is sort of like somebody trying to salvage treasure in a situation where there's a pretty stormy ocean. I would say. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So the book begins <laughs> in t- July of 2005, which is sort of the end of the Church of Scientology journey, I would believe, and. Uh, you were in a rehabilitation center in L.A. Was it a hospital? No, no. Well, uh, where I escaped from, yes. But I was in a prison. It's a program which is called the Rehabilitation Program, but it's really a sea organization, um, you know, which is like a Church of Scientology elite corps prison. Right, the Sea Org. Uh, yeah, the Sea Org. Yeah, the Sea Organization prison, uh, from which... Uh, from which I uh, pretended, uh, you know, under false pretenses, basically, I was uh, taken to a hospital by two security guards, oh. and fr- I escaped from the hospital. Well, what, what was your pretense? That I was sick. I mean, did you, you say... You know, basically, I, I, uh, 
pretended to be sick in some way. I don't even remember what was wrong. But anyway, uh, they took me to the emergency room. I think it was the Harbor Hospital in L.A., and I escaped from there. Oh, I see now. So, uh, you see, as I said, your book is, is for, you know, let's focus, we focus on the Golden Fleece. Let's also look at the, the subtitle, Diary of a Scientology Warrior. In a certain way, you still are. Isn't that correct? Well, maybe I am a warrior, but not Scientology, no. What I mean, I mean is I, that I, you, I, you I do feel like you've salvaged something from Scientology that you took with you or not? Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. It's a very valuable uh, experience and very valuable knowledge and very valuable uh, spiritual gains that I got from Scientology, uh, you know, among other things, not so good. But anyway, but uh, as far as the good part uh, of the ledger, yes, absolutely. So, I, uh, so you, are, you, are, uh, you are a spiritual warrior now, still. Not a, not, you're not working for Scientology, you're working for the spirit, right? Yes, yeah, I, I don't use Scientology. It's not a matter of working for Scientology. Scientology in itself is a spiritual enhancement system, and uh, it, it was quite beneficial for me, and uh, I don't bash it, you know, but I don't do Scientology anymore. It's not a matter who I work for, it's just that I don't do Scientology as a spiritual system anymore. I... I and progress beyond it, basically. I understand, yes, that it clarifies that. What I love about your book is that it not only gives us a vivid day-to-day -day picture of your experience with the church, but it's filled with challenges you need to overcome and adventures, but also contains a great deal of what I would call, if you'll forgive me, pure comedy. It seems to me that you uh, carried that aspect of your personality through a lot of these real difficulties. Would you say that's yes, true? Yes, I tried. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I tried so, sometimes, I mean, there are times that I was just breaking up reading the book. You know, it was just like, it, it, I mean, the pressures you were under were sort of, in some cases, I think, sort of ridiculous because you became a translator for, uh, you, were in, you were in the uh, translation department and you went to Russia and you went to the, uh, and, and, and to some extent, I guess, the Ukraine. You went back there and you um, actually came in, became involved with a lot of other countries with the translations. But the pressure they put on you, the redundancy in making you, uh, of, of having these things reviewed sometimes by people who really didn't have the competence to review them, but they had to go through all these procedures at one point, right? Right, right. So they would, like, they were, there was a certain bureaucracy that was a component of a lot of things in, in, in your experience of the church, right? There, there was a lot of authority and different things you had to go through for everything. Isn't that correct? So first of all, I, I, I would like to say right away that I'm not a huge proponent. I don't bash Scientology. I'm not a, a, a huge proponent of Scientology. I'm basically nothing. and no, uh, do, I have nothing to do with Scientology, okay? But uh, since, you know, to answer your question... Basically, Scientology technology itself, it's called technology, it's the actual methodology which is used, kind of like a, like a spiritual practice or uh, psychoanalysis with the use of an electronic device, which is called an emitter. It's, it, it's it, its own thing, you know. So that thing is very powerful. And uh, materials are very, very exact. And um, they have to be used very exactly and so forth. And there is a lot of them. And... Uh, 
you know, there are many levels and uh, there are 12 different levels of auditors and there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of processes and, and they're all very exact and the phenomena is exact and the translations have to be exact. That's why Alan Hubbard kind of installed a lot of uh, checks oh, for I the see. translations to make sure that, that they would be technically exact. Uh, those checks didn't necessarily work very well, you know, the way they were installed, but uh, that was the attempt, is to make uh, to make things workable in other languages as well, not just in English. Right. Because in English it works like a bomb. I mean, it uh, it is effective, you know, and so forth. It has its drawbacks. But in any case, <clears throat> you know, so it, it is just a, a pretty involved system. And um, so, okay, so I was a part of international management of the Church of Scientology International, the very top of the sea organization in a secret location in the desert. So obviously we had a lot of interesting uh, procedures and hierarchies and discipline and so forth uh, and bureaucracy, you know, so that organizational part of it is a different thing. So there is a technical part and there is an organizational part and both have their bureaucracies, you know. But basically, yeah, you're right. So there was a lot of bureaucracy in there. Well, um, I want to go back to the beginning, because actually a lot of this is about your experience with the church, right? I mean, but also it, it, it sort yeah, of gives yeah. you insight. Well, well, I spent, you know, years, literally years, studying different cults for, for a project I was on. And so um, I, I found it very fascinating, because I'll, I'll tell you very honestly that uh, I'm now extremely interested in our, our so-called political life here in this country and through, throughout the world. And I see a lot of ways in which the um, political parties, for instance, in, in our country and, and, and governments in other places are really very much organized like a cult. And so I, I actually think that you can study cults and learn something about what's going on right now. So anyway, uh, I... I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about how you re were recruited in the first place. Uh, for the Sea Org? No, not for the Sea Org, from the very beginning. The reason I say that is that I was recruited. I wasn't recruited on the level you were because they didn't get a, they didn't get a hold of me uh, hard enough. But in my case, I was stopped on the street. I was much younger. And, uh, you know, I was interested in spiritual things since a child, and so they came up and they said I could take some tests and things, and I took the tests. I thought they were interesting, but then I had to leave. And then they kept bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And so, I, you know, by the phone, and uh, I, th I think, uh, I'm not sure how else they were bothering me. I don't, I'm not even sure if email was around then. But I, I, all I know is that I kept getting contacted, and I stopped it, and uh, eventually... But you didn't stop it because you got actually recruited in a much more personal and intense way, I think, than I was. So maybe you could discuss what happened when you met Judy and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so basically, yeah. So there was this uh, girl who approached me on the street and offered to take personality tests, and I didn't want to go. But finally I did, and I uh, took this test. And the evaluation um, that she gave me of the test was completely atrocious. Uh, she just basically told me that I am, uh, you know, basically She called you a murderer. She actually said you were yeah. a murderer, right? She, you, were, you had that potential, right? Yes. Uh, basically, she explained that 
with extremely low responsibility level, according to the test, responsibility level and other things like appreciating people, liking people, communicating to people, all these different things extremely low. At the same time, I have a sky high, what you call it? Uh, Sense of ego? Hostility level, basically. No, okay. hostility level. Oh, hostility. You know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, and that would make me a potential murderer. So she just pissed me off beyond belief. She just like told me all the things that I didn't want to hear that were more or less correct, basically. You know, don't know about the murder, but um, that wasn't a part of the test that she just added that for fun. But basically, yeah, I had a test which was very, very bad. And it showed pretty pretty closely what I actually was. And uh, yeah, so I left and then I came back just to uh, cast her out uh, again next day. And somehow they got me into five hours of Dianetics auditing, which is a promotional uh, action, you know, that they do um, with new people just to show how Scientology works. Dianetics is a part of Scientology. It's a small part, you know, it's uh, it's how the whole thing started. Anyway, so I got this five hours of auditing and it opened up a whole new uh, world for me. I saw uh, a possibility actually of making things work and helping people and improving things. And for me, it uh, I completely uh, lost my al- uh, allergy, like I had um, asthma. Uh, I don't know, I guess it was an allergic asthma or some sort, but it was pretty bad. And it was most of my life, and I had two inhalers with me always and so forth. And, uh, yeah, um, it never came back. That was in uh, uh, 1987. 1987, and now it's 2019, and I never had that asthma. I never had any asthma. Well, I I, I have to tell you, you know, people are drawn to each other for different reasons. And uh, one, one thing that's very interesting is that I was cured of asthma in a, a kind of miraculous way. I'm just going to tell you what it was in a couple of sentences. But basically, in New York, I was working for a, a guy who had written some of the... Was, he was probably the top nutritional writer in the world. But he also had a, a health food store. And um, I didn't know much about health and things. And uh, I used to go there and I, had, I, had a, I, I contracted asthma suddenly. I couldn't breathe. I had to. Act, I actually left New York, uh, and I, I had been working with this guy in a film. And then I, I but I, it was finished. And I left New York. I wound up in New Orleans, where I got out of the plane, and I had a, a really serious air panic attack. And so I, I wound up going there because I thought the heat would help me. But it actually was the worst place in the world for asthma. Well, I would go. I would travel back and forth on a trolley, and I saw that I would see this place called Helen Keller's Health Food Store. And you know, Helen Keller was that blind lady who, who was an amazing author and so forth. And I went in there, I, I didn't go in there because I was sort of put off by the blindness thing, but one day I got so desperate, I just went in there and this older lady said to me, what's wrong with you? I said, well, I have asthma. And she said, oh, that's nothing. I killed a girl with leukemia last year. And she showed me some clipping, and I thought she was crazy. The next day, I came back, and she put me on a diet, a mucusless diet. And in three days, I stopped having the the attack. For a, for a whole year, I couldn't take more than a quarter of teaspoon of sugar without going into this, this whole thing. Anyway, I was cured. It never came back, except little traces of it if I went off my diet for a while. But it, ne- it never really came back. And because of that, I became uh, a host of... Uh, 
what first started out as a health food program. I still have working on a holistic health food program. It's my third one. So it was a big thing to be cured of asthma. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, we're going to... Yeah. Incredible story, yeah. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is Johnny Bluestar, CEO of New Galaxy Enterprises, a media content development company. One of the most exciting projects I've regularly been involved in is the creation of nonfiction books, often collaborating with new authors on a wide variety of topics, either through editing or through writing, sometimes being guided by the client's direction or collaborating directly with the client. In this capacity, I've worked on a book on abolishing the caste system in India, a system of selling with integrity and sensitivity towards client and product, several fascinating memoirs, one with a Korean war veteran and crime fighter, another with one of the greatest ventriloquists and television producers in the 50s and 60s. To learn more about New Galaxy, see samples of our work, or talk to us about your project, please go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com and fill out the contact form. In Ken Ede's book, The Involuntary Spy, Seth Rogen, a scientist, after having discovered a major deception created by a multi-billion dollar worldwide agribusiness giant that he works for, is driven by his conscience to release the information to the public at the peril of his reputation, career, and life itself. To do this, he must take refuge in Moscow. Here is an excerpt. Chapter 4 Yuri helped Seth settle into the safe house in Moscow. Tomorrow night, he would take the nine-hour flight to the Far East. From the apartment, he could see the colorful and distinctive towers of St. Basil's Cathedral from his window, and the glittering gold onion domes of the Church of Annunciation in the Kremlin. This was the Kremlin he had seen so many times on television. Back then, during the Cold War, it had represented the seat of the Empire of Evil. Now, it was oddly beautiful. The American press was already doing damage control on Seth's report to Russia today. The president called it propaganda, and said that the United States was against the manufacture of biological weapons. Spokesmen from the company said that Seth's report to RT should be disregarded as the words of a traitor and a thief. Because of his fleeing the country, Seth's story was discredited in every mainstream media report. Okay, your name now is George Amers, said Yuri, smiling, holding out documents. Here is new passport. I'm Canadian? Yes. Does that mean I have to say A all the time? Seth, Russians don't care what you say. But don't talk to people. Don't talk to people. And don't go anywhere. Just to work and back home. Sounds boring. Isn't that what you guys do in America anyway? Well, yeah. Okay. Don't make friends. If you want a girl, we get you girl. That sucks. Look, it's only for six months. Then you can do what you want. If you see anything suspicious, call me. Six months, eh? Yes, six months. Oh, and shave mustache and color hair. What? You prefer shave head and color mustache? No, no, that's okay. I'll take the hair color. And we fix nose. What's wrong with my nose? Nose too big. It's not. We fix anyway. Okay, let me see if I've got it. Don't go anywhere. Don't make friends. Sleep with prostitutes that you send to me and wear a disguise. Yes, you are smart. Don't forget to use lenses I gave you for eyes. And what? Lose some weight. 
Seth worked on his disguise with the materials Yuri had left in the safe house. He said a fond farewell to the mustache that had been with him since high school and picked a dark brown color to mask his light brown hair. With the contacts in, his eyes changed from green to brown. He didn't even recognize himself. The surface disguise was the easy part. Being George Amers would be the true disguise to master. We're back on the air on Threshold Radio with Michael Priv, the author of, among other things, The Golden Fleece and Diary of a Scientology Warrior. And we were discussing in our last segment how Michael had been cured of asthma. And uh, after a five-hour audit, his first one, I guess, his first long one with uh, Scientology, and that became a kind of closing situation because he actually began to see something much further about his connection. And why don't you tell us about what you saw? Uh, regarding Scientology or, or... Well, you said you had a sort of vision. You sort of saw the way it could help people and and you became interested in oh, it. Oh, yes, yes. I got the, I got a demonstration of Dianetics, uh, which is called Book One Auditing. I got the demonstration of the procedure which was developed in 1948 which is the most primitive and simplest of all that takes about three weeks to uh, learn, including uh, practice and, you know, and all that. And uh, so it was applied to me for five hours and I saw the potential and I saw the system behind it. I could I could see the system. I could sense which way it was developing from 1948 onward, you know, and how it became Scientology and so forth. So, yeah, so I was very interested and... Um, I was very interested in uh, helping others as well, not just myself. So next thing I did after that was uh, I enrolled into the course to, you know, to learn um, Dianetics Auditing, to become a professional Dianetics Auditor, uh, which actually helped me in life many, many times. I audited several thousand hours, and uh, even in Russia, when I was in dire straits and so forth, it, like, it always helped me through, throughout the years. And then later on, and I became an auditor, and I saw different, uh, very, very interesting uh, phenomena. And uh, then eventually I joined the Sea Org and uh, went to this secret location in the desert, and uh, I spent about 16 years there until I was imprisoned and escaped from the prison in L.A. Well, also during that time, you went to Russia and other countries, right? Yeah, I, I went to basically all over Europe. There is not a single country in Europe that I didn't uh, visit or didn't work in or didn't live for a couple months in or didn't visit repeatedly. Uh, I spent about eight months in Copenhagen, about two months in Oslo. Like, you know, I basically I traveled a lot. I also traveled to Canada and Mexico. I mean, there was a lot of traveling in my CUR career. I really appreciate all the opportunities <laughs> that presented in that regard as well. Getting back to that early period before you started to get too intensely involved after that audit, you did go through a purification rundown, right? Yeah. That reminds me of, remember, uh, am I correct that after 9-11, Tom Cruise arranged some, 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 some kind of a detoxification related to Scientology for the for the first responders in 9-11. Isn't that correct? I think so, yes. I think he, he did something. It is a very effective program. It's not spiritual in nature. It's physical. It's uh, basically based on a simple principle that uh, impurities and toxins are stored in the fat tissues, and it uses niacin, increasing dosages of niacin, 
and uh, niacin is one of the um, B vitamins, you know, uh, B, one of the B vitamins, yeah. And uh, it has this ability to destroy fat cells. It just breaks down fat. So uh, uses uh, increasing dosages of niacin with other vitamins and oils and all kinds of essential things and so forth. And then sweating out for five hours in the sauna a day for as long as it takes, and usually it takes two, three weeks. Uh, it took me longer because I did it on three hours a day instead of five, so it took me 38 days. And um, it actually it is very effective. It does actually grab all these toxins and take them out. You know, well, there's this, another this aspect to it, which I think uh, is important for you to uh, talk about, which it's uh, not just about the detoxification program, but it's supposed to stimulate the, the uh, or re-stimulate the engrams, right? And that's part of it, why well, they we do didn't, it. No, it has nothing to do with that. Um, I don't know exactly. It's, uh, I'm, well, quote, I'm quoting from your book. It says these toxins are slowly released back into the bloodstream, poisoning the body and re-stimulating, quote, um, parentheses, switching on back, bringing back to life, engrams. A lot of engrams are associated yes. with toxins such as anesthesia, drugs, x-rays, and alcohol. Engrams manifest themselves, first of all, by aches and, by aches and pains, but also by listlessness, sluggish thinking, depression, angers, and fear. The program was designed to remove the yeah. toxins from the body, thus clearing the way for faster and more effective auditing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I misunderstood the question. I thought that the program itself is re-stimulating Ingram. Oh, yeah, I see. Toxins, yeah. yeah. No, I, I just wanted you to, dis first of all, I thought that's very interesting and I wanted you to describe what an engram is, because that's really a key to the Dianetics program. So, yes, uh, an engram, it's uh, a key to our aberrations. So it's like not only Dianetics, even if you don't know Dianetics, but you still have engrams type thing. It's basically, uh, it's a moment of physical pain and full or partial unconsciousness from the past. And according to the Dianetic theory and actually like uh, Scientology and Elron Hubbard and so forth, the, the idea is that those moments of physical pain and uh, complete or partial unconsciousness are responsible for uh, aberrations. Like in other words, let's say somebody is uh, afraid of spiders. Well, the reason for that is hidden in a, in a, in a, in a very old Ingram, which is a moment of uh, physical pain and full or partial unconsciousness. It was a content, it was a part of the content of that incident, let's say spiders or mentioning of spiders or somehow concept of spiders. And uh, now that this um, Ingram came to life, is re-stimulated in some way by the environment and life and so forth, person is afraid of uh, spiders. You know, and uh, all the other operations can be also traced to this, uh, to Ingrams, you know, moments of pain and unconsciousness from the past. Why, why don't you uh, say a little bit about how the auditing process works? Okay, uh, so Dianetics Auditing, the way it works is, uh, so this, the, uh, the in, an Ingram is sometime in the past. Let's say, for example, yesterday, or let's say, for example, last week, there was an Ingram, which is uh, a surgery for example, right? So uh, this Ingram has further events uh, and, and incidents associated with it. Like, for example, there was a blonde nurse during, during the surgery, 
And so now a person either hates blondes or has an incredible attraction to blondes where he really wants to get close to blondes as, as close as possible and then hurt them, for example. You know, oh, that's, that's one thing. Let's say there was a doctor during that surgery who was very authoritative and he was uh, given orders and um, he was definitely in charge for example, during surgery. So now, so a person doesn't remember any of this because he was uh, under the anesthesia and it's not a part of his actual recollection or memory at all. You know, but now, for example, a person suddenly starts showing the traits of being authoritarian, you know, and being uh, opinionated and uh, knowing exactly what to do. And uh, if he wants your opinion, he'll give it to you type thing, you know, which wasn't the case before the surgery, you know. Or a person becomes attracted to such people and, and just kind of like um, emulating them and uh, idolizing them and glorifying them. As soon as a person exhibits these qualities, this person is number one for the, you know, in his book from now on. So, so these things happen and so forth. And then, so let's say the situation, this blondes, let's say the, the surgery happened uh, 50 years ago, 30 years ago. So now this person was married three times uh, to blondes and he leaves all of them and the children and he completely ruined his life because of his this strange psychotic attitude toward blondes that he really wants to get close. He loves them to pieces. He absolutely can't live without them. But as soon as he gets close, he starts undermining and destroying them in various ways. And then there is a divorce. So now there are three divorces, for example, and so on. Okay, so now this person is seeking help. So he comes to a Dianetics auditor and says, listen, I don't know what to do with my personal life. I was married three times. I can't seem to, I always look for a wrong person. I seem to find all these different people who are wrong for me. And, but I am also like such a nut. You know, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so crazy, you know. I am so psychotic when it comes to relationships, I can't stand it. Can you do something about it? Okay, so the Dianetics auditor starts... So the analytics auditor understands that these events and engrams and so forth, they're on chains. Like similar incidents are arranged in time on chains. They're not just random. They're similar and they're on chains. Okay, so he starts working on the last divorce, the last marriage. Different incidents are taken up of arguing, argument, you know, arguing and fighting and uh, all kinds of hostilities. And then he asks for an earlier similar incident. An earlier similar incident comes up from the same marriage. An earlier similar incident, another earlier similar from the same marriage, then from a previous marriage, then from a previous marriage. And, and so the work continues going uh, back further and further in time, asking for earlier similar incident on this chain. And they present themselves readily, usually. If not, there are some simple techniques that uh, Dianetics auditors use, basically to find these incidents, but they find them, and they keep going earlier. Finally, they find this Ingram, which is what was the original intention from the beginning. So, okay, so this Ingram, everything that happened during anesthesia, which is not a part of analytical recollection, everything is uncovered through Dianetics auditing. It's, it's uh, little by little, it all presents itself and organizes itself in a coherent incident and everything is found. And as it's found and examined analytically, it all blows. Like in other words, this uh, affliction, you know, with uh, blondes and so forth, it just blows. Like so that, that's words, what happened with uh, your asthma, does. right? That's what happened with your asthma. It disappeared. Well, it's, it's, it's a, yes, but we didn't actually find an Ingram. So the whole thing can blow even before that. 
you know, uh, that would be uh, ideal. It's more complicated. You know, it's a technology. It's more complicated than what I'm saying. You don't have to find an Ingram. Oftentimes, uh, on the way toward that Ingram, the whole thing just blows, and a person feels tremendous relief, and sometimes just, un, un, uh, you know, unstoppable la laughing and joy, you know, and so forth, and uh, an eruption, which is why, actually, the symbol of Dianetics that uh, Elrond Hubbard invented was a volcano. So, uh. yeah, it's just a, it's just a tremendous feeling that uh, that comes over you when when some of these uh, crazy, stupid afflictions just blow and they just disappear. You know, with a bang, it it gives you a tremendous rush and 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 an in, and surge of energy that you get and so forth. And you realize at that point that your life just became immeasurably better, just like that in an instant. Boom, you know without actually touching on the Ingram. So if the Ingram wasn't found, it, mean, it means that it will come back. So it's a temporary phenomena. It, everything kind of uh, disappeared and became normal and so forth for, for the time being. The, the, this affliction and craziness and so forth will come back, but it will never be as strong. So you're still uh, better off that it was found. But the idea, of course is to find an Ingram. But then it's also important to remember that Ingrams are also organized in a chain, in chains, and there were like many, many, many previous earlier Ingrams of surgeries. Well, I'll tell you and what, Michael, many... Michael, I'd like to stop right now uh -huh. because uh, we're gonna, I want to take okay. a break and then get into the real, more interesting and controversial aspects of auditing, which I found extremely <laughs> yes. enlightening and uh, unusual. And uh, just, I'm very fascinated by it. And we'll be right back just in a minute. My company, New Galaxy Enterprises, is a California corporation specializing in the creation of media and promotional content. We are focused on original, innovative projects that are good for humanity. These projects could be nonfiction books or novels, fictional screenplays or documentary content, websites and website content, commercial advertising content for print, audio or video products on the internet, television or radio, musical scores for advertising, television or film, video, audio editing, etc. We want to promote products and projects that support the environment, encourage a healthy experience in living, developing, nurturing and useful technology and offering platforms for positive socially constructive entertainment or informative transformative media. Our experience in creating a variety of products like this is rather vast and we offer client-based and collaborative products as well as the opportunity of active investors to join us in the creation and promotion of proprietary products, some of which are in latter stages of development. For more information, go to www.newgalaxyenterprises.com Dot com. That's www.newgalaxyenterprises.com. If you're interested in talking to us, just fill out the contact sheet and we will get back with you. If you're not fond of books, you may be interested in watching Dr. Rodier's slide presentation on his website, hugorodier.com. That's H-U-G-O-R-O-D-I-E-R.com. It lasts 48 minutes and explains the simple roots of all diseases with pictures and graphs that are easy to understand. The presentation includes basic principles of physics, philosophy, anthropology, and history to truly integrate the most vital pillars of human health. I'm back with Michael Priv. And we've been discussing uh, his book, The Golden Fleece. And uh, one of the really interesting things that we've been discussing is the, uh, the auditing process in Scientology. Michael, you were discussing how there's a chain. 
I'm going to uh, to read something from your book for a second. Yes. You had been working with a guy named Robert who was telling you certain things about Dianetic Auditing. He says, just as Robert told me, and as I was finding out myself from the Dianetics Auditing, which I was delivering, the engrams, moments of pain in full or partial unconsciousness, were at the bottom of every chain of unwanted behavior, and the earlier the engrams, the more power they had. Now, this is the really interesting part. Therefore, the engrams of any consequence were always incidents that occurred before this lifetime, or as it is called in Scientology, on the whole track. The last sentence is worth rereading, so here it is again. The engrams of any consequence are always incidents that occurred before this lifetime. Kind of puts constant chewing on your upsets with your mother into perspective. (laughs) In any case, what you need to know, I contacted my first whole track incident on NED, a life-changing experience. What is NED? Uh, New Era Dianetics. It's uh, Dianetics uh, circa 1948 only improved and uh, with the use of an electronic device which is called an emitter to find incidents and it all becomes basically lightning fast it just speeds it up about 10 times and makes it more exact and powerful that's called new era dianetics that it was developed in 1979 after 31 years of research and so forth and data and so forth well, one thing about it, you were, you were looking at you were looking at your uh, using that procedure to look at your bronchitis, and then you found yeah. something that I think was very very interesting. Can you explain what you you uncovered? Well, I, I uh, basically found that this bronchitis that I was suffering from at that at that time, I didn't have like bronchitis all the time. It was a specific situation at the time. I got the serious bronchitis that wouldn't go away, and it was threatening to become something bigger. And they decided to give me a session of neurodianetics to just handle the hell out of this bronchitis. And, and it did. In about two and a half hours or so, uh, the bronchitis was gone and everything was great. But anyway, um, yeah, so bronchitis originated from a sword that was thrust in the, like, basically top of my lungs or, like, top of my chest area below the throat. Now, at the time that happened, I was actually wearing a chainmail shirt. So the sword didn't even penetrate, but it killed me anyway at the time. It, it was the, the thrust was enough basically to damage whatever it damaged. And I died from my wounds about 24 hours later or something like that, or I don't know, a day and a half later at the time, you know. And uh, restimulation or bringing back to life that Ingram now resulted in a bronchitis, which is really difficult to cure. And this kind of gives you a glimpse at the nature of all illness or most of the illness. It's really difficult to cure a bronchitis, which didn't actually originate, you know, it doesn't have any, any relation to any of the cures used against it. So let's say you do this or that, or you use this uh, medications or whatever, or you or drink yeah. this. Or nutrition, but actually, it wasn't caused by bad nutrition. It caused it. Uh, it, co- it was caused by something that uh, happened a thousand years ago in Belgium, and there is absolutely no chance in hell you'll ever find that out. Basically, well, it's like, we're, we're talking it. about the 12th century, right? Around you're 40 years old in 1126. Yeah, you are a retired military commander. You're living in Flanders. Now, when all this, and you have a wife and two children and so forth, and you, you recall this whole life, the, where you were, what it was like, 
how did that happen? Is it just a quick vision? Or, or when you're talking about the engram or he's auditing you, you suddenly see this, this incredibly elaborate vision. How, did, how does it actually work? It's gradual and how it works in Dianetics. So first of all, I would like to say that I'm uh, no longer a Scientologist and haven't been for 13 years, you know, but I'm explaining Scientology here, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a Scientologist. But I just wanted to say that there are other ways, you know, in psychiatry, there, there is a regression therapy. Yes, there are course, different yes. ways. Even Buddhists uh, have their ways of finding past lives. But in Scientology, specifically, with the use of uh, an emitter. So, okay, an emitter is an electronic device which is extremely sensitive, but basically all it is is a circuit in which you are a part of because you're holding, on, you're holding in your uh, hands two uh, metallic uh, cans, you know, that connect you to this device, and there is a, a constant uh, direct current, very, very small, that goes through the device and through your body at the same time. You know, so you're a part of this circuit, and all it does is it, me it measures the resistance in the circuit, this device. But it's very, very sensitive, and uh, there are 28 different reads that it can read, um, the, the needle of the emitter, and those reads are uh, studied, and people who operate emitter know all those reads, and I was also one of them, and it's all very interesting, but mostly you're looking for one read, which is called the fall. So okay. so basically what happens is, is this. So, so here you are, the auditor asks you a question, uh, auditor tells you, find an earlier similar ingram or find an earlier similar incident, or whatever the case may be, he gives you this, uh, this thing. And you can't find it, and there's nothing that you can see, and you're sitting there thinking, uh, nothing comes to mind, and suddenly he, he says, there, that, what was that? Well, that was nothing, I, I didn't see anything. Okay, uh, and now what was that? He is getting the same read again and again, he is getting the same fall, he is getting the same motion of the needle, and he keeps telling you, and what was now? What was that now? No, what, what did you just see? What did you just think about? Oh, I just saw, you know, I don't know, I just kind of imagined a uh, river. Okay, okay, good, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's see if we can see any more of that river. You know, yeah, what, that, what was that? What, what was that now? Oh, I saw a house. Okay, okay, good. Okay. Oh, I and see. now, what yeah. was that now? You know, and, and it slowly starts unwinding. Usually, it unwinds from the back, uh, from the end, because in the end of the ingram is the actual, you know, the actual moment of pain. In this case, it was the actual thrust of the sword into the throat or the, like the, the top of the chest uh, was closer to the end. So that's how it starts. Okay, so here's this fight, here's this hellacious situation, and here's this fight, and here's, oh my God, you know, I'm struck with this, with this sword. We are in some kind of chamber. Okay, what else do you see? You know, and it just keeps unwinding and winding and winding. So when the incident which unwound it has some kind of coherence, you know, that, okay, so yeah, we're in this chamber and we're fighting with these guys and I'm missing, I missed this thrust because of this and that. And it, uh, and here, uh, you know, I fell on the floor and stuff like that. Then he, then the auditor says, okay, so let's return to the beginning of this incident and tell me when you're there. And so now it's much easier. Now it becomes a little bit more oiled, this truck. 
So now you suddenly, oh yeah, here, I see how we enter this chamber. Yeah, I, I think I know what's going on. I think, yeah, we, we just uh, we just took this town and we uh, basically murdered pretty much everybody we could lay our hands on and we are ransacking the whole place and uh, stealing everything. That's what's happening. And yeah, so we entered the chamber of the, of the duke and uh, there, there are some guards in here that we didn't expect were here because we thought there was no more resistance. And uh, yeah, that's what's happening. And yeah, and here I am. I'm getting this thrust with a, you know, with the sword, and I'm down on the ground. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Return to the beginning of this incident. Is there an earlier beginning to this incident? Tell me when you're there, and let's start recounting from there. And it goes many, many times, and it keeps going farther and farther back. Until finally, the whole story is uncovered. And it's immensely interesting and also very, very beneficial because right during this session, you feel how your uh, chest feels better and better and all the flag and, you know, all the mucus and whatever that was kind of bothering you and pain in the chest and stuff like that all goes away right during the session, you know. But also it's interesting on a different level because it was just, I was so amazed that, I saw my wife at the time, and I realized that I still loved her, you know? So, wow. okay, this opens up, like, I was really happy to see her and, and the daughters, and it was just incredible. It was just incredible, you know? I, I don't know how to say it. It's like literally like coming home after 900 years and realizing you still love your wife. And that kind of opens up a little bit more of how we live now, you know, we, think we we don't know any of this normally, and we kind of live, and then, you know, let's say we meet somebody and we like them, or we meet somebody and we don't like them, and this and that, or somebody just can't love anybody. Okay, so let's say somebody just can't fall in love, doesn't believe in love, doesn't really love anybody and stuff like that. Well, we don't know. Maybe his whole attention is stuck on some tragic love story from the past and he or she are still in love with that person from a, a thousand or a million or a billion years ago. You see, we, yeah. we don't know. There is so much hidden. There's just a tiny little top of the iceberg and everything else is hidden and we'll never know. So, or let's Do you say... you think that you would meet your, for instance, in this case, you'd meet these your wife and your daughters again in, in another lifetime? Yeah, uh, it's totally possible because we are all... In actual fact, hanging around pretty much the same people forever. And most of these people are irrelevant to us. They are irrelevant to us now, and they were irrelevant to us before, and they will be relevant to us in the future. But some of them we are serious enemies with, and the worst enemies we have are those who we hurt in the past ourselves. We committed some serious crimes against them in the past, and now we hate them, you know. And, um, you know, if they committed serious crimes against us in the past, we forgave them. If we committed serious crimes against them, we never for, for, for forgave them for that. So we hate these people. We love these people. Uh, there are some lovers and children and so forth that we really like and love and we like them now and so forth. And this is how it all happened. There is a, a phenomenon. Let's say, for example, if you have like a love of your life that you meet occasionally, maybe every thousand or every 10,000 years on your track again and again throughout your existence. And if you meet them now, regardless of their gender, regardless of their age difference, marital status, economical status, you're going to be together. So now we are looking 
with slightly different eyes at different scandals and different things that going on, wow. you know, <laughs> just because there's so, so, so much hidden, you know. I really take this apart, this phenomena apart in uh, my novel, which is called The Fifth Battalion, which is a sci-fi uh, sci novel. But in there, yeah, they've been lovers for who knows how long. It's just time becomes kind of kind of like a, a vague uh, generality. It's just so much of it in the past. It's just like a huge, huge amount of time. So whenever they meet, they'll, they're going to be together. That's it, period. If uh, she is married and have uh, four kids and she is 40 years old and he is a 16-year-old uh, stray little homeless kid and they meet, they're going to be together. Regardless of anything, they're going to be lovers, period. Oh, so, well, uh, I'll tell you what, we're kind of running out of time, but I think that was a good crescendo. <laughs> I mean, it's a good pl yeah. place to uh, to stop for the moment. Well, thank you so much for uh, the interview, and perhaps we can continue um, some more at another time. So, um, Yeah, absolutely. I I'd love that. Thank you. Yeah. How can people get a hold of the book, The Golden Fleece? Oh, uh, well, Amazon. Um, I have a website. Uh, michaelpriv.com also on Amazon if anybody goes on Amazon and that just searches for Michael Priv all of my books are there including my lat latest book uh, You're a Psychic The Healer's Handbook which is spirituality taken to a new level after Scientology as a springboard you know with a lot of further research and so forth you know there are many interesting things in there uh, including the golden fleece absolutely well i'll bet they are and i'm looking forward to perhaps looking at some of your other books and uh, i thank you for being with us and uh, we'll see you soon take yeah, care thank you johnny much appreciated thanks we'll see mm -hmm. you bye-bye bye it's time to say our last farewell and go out with a remarkable version of edith pilaf's famous song la vie en rose as performed by Patricia Welch. This is Johnny Blue Star, host of Inalienable and Free, the Voice of the Coalition, a program devoted to the development of the Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. The Coalition is a unique project designed to empower its members both individually and collectively. Besides individual empowerment, its broader focus is on the restoration, protection, and enhancement of citizen and human rights throughout the world through the aid of its members. As this project is centered in the United States, our first task is to create a website and social network infrastructure to promote collective efforts to take back our rightful control as citizens over our government as designed by our founding fathers. Although we must begin with a social network restricted to United States citizens, the organization will also host a global dialogue for the discussion of human rights by citizens of democratic nations throughout the world. If you're interested, please check us out in the GoFundMe.com website, entering in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. That is, go to GoFundMe.com and enter in the search field, The Coalition for Planetary Empowerment. This is Johnny Blue Star. We all live very closely or within ourselves to an immense journey of self-discovery and adventure. For humanity, both the wide expanse of stars and the infinitely wider space within ourselves beckon us to make that leap forward. Thank you for making Threshold Radio part of your journey. Be well and keep cosmic.
Tes yeux qui font baisser la mière Un rien qui soupère sa bouche Voilà la porte et semble touche De l'homme qu'elle a j'appartient Comme de mes pendants si bas il m'est pas là tout bas, j'avoue la vie en rose. Il me dit des mots d'amour, des mots de tous les gens, et ça me fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon de bonheur dont j'ai connu la cause Il a pour moi ma pluie dans la vie Il me le dit là pas la vie Et de que je l'aperçois alors je sens en moi mon cœur qui Des chorras et Alors je sens en moi 